Hey friends, welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? You've got me as your host today, Shell Morgan, and with me as always is my lovely partner in true crime, Lisa Magistrelli. Hey guys! So last month, I was visiting my cousin in Toronto, Ontario, and I thought I would look up some interesting cases from the area. Listeners, I am sorry in advance. If you are a fan of cases that have a clear-cut ending, I am totally not your girl. (laughs) I know I've kept you hanging on for every single episode I've done, but I love the cases that keep me guessing. Today, Shell is telling you the story of a super high-profile Canadian case from December 2017. It's of a couple with more money than God, a bunch of super greedy family members, a friendship with Canada's business and political elite like our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and a double murder. With the killer still at large, this is the case of Barry and Honey Sherman. Take it away, girl. Bernard Charles Sherman, or Barry as he was called, was a 75-year-old businessman who founded a generic brand pharmaceutical company called Apotex in 1974. He was born into a Jewish family, he did an internship at NASA, he went to MIT, and has a PhD in astrophysics. Holy! He is legitimately a genius, and he used his intelligence to make a lot of money. (laughs) Barry Sherman became the 15th richest man in Canada with a net worth of over $4 billion. Billion dollars. What would you buy with a billion dollars? (laughs) (laughs) Big question here. (laughs) The most important question of all. The thing about Barry though is that he didn't want any lavish toys. He was a total workaholic and continued to work even with his wild fortune. He drove a 1999 Mustang convertible. What? And the family car was a Lexus SUV that was 10 years old. So like nothing too flashy, nothing new. This guy really didn't know how to have the typical version of fun. For him, fun was working and he worked a lot. It's just not materialistic at all. Yeah, just loved having money, but not to spend it yeah, on. Like, you, it's just to know that you have the money. You still I think do so. With it? Status Weird. maybe, yeah, and yeah. just you know, because he had billions of dollars. Oh my god. Yeah, but still drove like a nothing car. Yeah. Kind of nice. I know. I guess a little so. bit better about myself. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so then there was Honey. Born Anna Deborah Reich, Honey for short, Honey Sherman was a child of Holocaust survivors and the queen of Toronto's Jewish community. As Barry's wife, she was his total opposite. They were yin and yang. Honey, with her big personality and glowing smile, was the life of the party and a well-known philanthropist. Barry, on the other hand, hated small talk, he wore super nerdy glasses, and had a reputation for eating dessert for breakfast. Aw, I love that though. But yeah, as a team, they clicked. They met in 1971, both as University of Toronto grads. 
and they raised four children and enjoyed their lives after Barry became insanely wealthy. Together, they donated tens of millions of dollars oh. to charity. Good, good, good. Yeah. You know, you gotta give back For when sure. you have that much wealth. But sometimes, all the money in the world can't keep you from murder. On Friday, December 15th, 2017, it was a cold, snowy day in North York, Toronto, a very rich neighborhood. On 50 Old Colony Road, the 12,000 square foot Sherman Mansion was quiet. The couple had their house up for sale as they were planning to move into a newer, bigger home in Forest Hill, which was closer to their grandchildren. One of their real estate agents, Elise Stern, drove up to the house around 10 a.m. on Friday morning. She couldn't get a hold of the Shermans that day, but she took a chance and decided to show the house anyways. There was a couple that seemed like promising buyers, and she didn't want to miss a chance to sell. Of course. Especially big. when like the house was listed for $6 million oh, or something course. like that. Because the house is up for sale, the Shermans had installed a lockbox by their door so that Elise or their other real estate agent could access the home. In the home already that morning was the Sherman's housekeeper and another woman who was in charge of watering the plants, keeping the house in the state it needed to be in to sell. So Elise, she starts showing the house to these potential buyers and their own real estate agent too. Touring through the big master bedroom, the spiral staircases, marble bathrooms, and huge kitchen. Like, this house is so huge. Cool. It's 12,000 square feet. That is like 20 of my apartments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. And it's also built in the 80s. It kind of has that like old, I don't know, vintage or retro vibe to it. Elise is showing the house, she is going through all these rooms. And then she walks down into the indoor pool room on the bottom level of the house, and she opens the door. Oh, God. <laughs> Elise walks in first, and she halts. It's the Shermans. At first glance, Elise thinks that she sees the Shermans doing some sort of weird meditation by the pool. The other agent, who was accompanying the potential buyers, helping them make a purchase, walked in behind Elise, and he thought that he saw the remnants of strange Halloween decorations. What? So Elise doesn't say anything. Are they sitting? Just wait. Okay. Elise turns around, and she quickly shuts the door to the pool room and ushers the potential buyers and their real estate agent out before they can really see what's happening, and she just tries to get them to leave. In her gut, she knew that something was very wrong. I've got the worst chills. The Shermans were not doing meditation, and this was not old Halloween decorations. This was something way way worse. So what did Elise see in that pool room, really? Was it the Shermans? Ugh. She was too afraid to go back in what, and like check. Like ghosts? <laughs> I don't know what she thought. Like, for you to walk in super quickly and just go right back out? Yeah, like, she You must like, have been like super certain that you just saw something really bad. Yeah, for so... For you to walk out without even 
saying hello. She was interviewed about this and she said that it freaked her out so much and she couldn't figure out what was happening. You're showing the house and yeah. you, you're okay. Your- like this isn't the room we want to go oh. into. So you know what? We just yeah. won't show this today. We're just going to skip this one for now. Just leave. Oh. And yeah, thanks so much for coming. We'll be in touch. <laughs> Um, here's the door. Yep, yeah, let's go. Like, she literally is like a real estate agent to the very end. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, okay. Elise says that she is just too afraid to go back into the pool room and check on what is happening. Oh, my God. So, she talks to the two other women who are in the house. One is the housekeeper and one is the one who's watering all of the plants. Yeah. And one of the women who are on the first level of the home cleaning They're like, oh, I'll go and check the pool room for you. She goes and checks. And apparently, from an interview, she says that she comes back upstairs and she says, I think the Shermans are dead. So, I think? Yeah. I know. Like, really? Girl, I asked you to go check and that's what you come back with? (laughs) I know. You think? Oh my God. She called 911 at 11.43 a.m. that Friday morning. Although Elise only glanced at the Shermans in the pool room that morning, if she had taken a closer look, she would have seen a gruesome sight. Oh, fuck. Are you, are you ready for oh, it? Oh, yeah, give it to me. Okay. <laughs> Barry and Honey Sherman were found sitting side by side dead in the pool room. The couple was in a semi-seated position with their legs outstretched away from the pool and their backs against a railing that ran above the pool. Both of them had a men's leather belt looped around their neck and tied to the railing above them. Barry's legs were crossed, one knee neatly over the other and his glasses were still perched on his nose as though completely undisturbed. Honey, in comparison, had marks and bruising on her face and her legs were uncrossed. Both of them were fully clothed, but their jackets were pulled down over their shoulders to keep their arms and hands at their sides. Like kind of pinning them down. Exactly. And pinning them in to the position that they were found as well. Mm -hmm. During the initial autopsy done by Dr. Michael Pickup, it was concluded that both Barry and Honey died of ligature neck compressions two days before they were found. They were strangled. I'm sorry, I think they're dead. I know. They've been dead for two days. You would smell something. That's what I said. I was like, wouldn't the body start to decompose? 100%. Like an indoor pool room is also going to be kind of steamy. Yeah. Yeah. You the know, moisture in the room. Yeah, for sure. so oh. I would feel like I would walk in there and you'd get hit by a smell. Oh, yeah. It'd be a punch to the face. Oh my god. Well, I, I mean, mean, who knows how good of a look that person, even the cleaner, even had themselves. Like maybe she was like, oh, I'll go down and check. And then like did the same and thing. And was like, oh god. Like yeah. you never yeah, know, yeah, right? Yeah. And obviously I've never walked in on two dead bodies before, so <laughs> I don't know how I would react, yeah. but they've been there for two, two days. days. This is where the case gets weird though and the Toronto police are at the center of it all so the police reported that there were no signs of forced entry or evidence of anyone else in the Sherman house the Shermans had a security system I was just gonna ask do they have cameras 
but it was not installed. <gasps> what? And none of the cameras were running any footage. Like the cameras were up on the walls, but they just weren't recording. Exactly. So they were placed there, they were hung, and they were pointing at the house right. in different directions. So it would seem as though they had cameras. But it wasn't actually recording. It was not installed. Nothing was recording. They had never installed oh, any security. my God. And that's not all. Barry and Honey were also in the habit of leaving doors unlocked. And this was well known. What? By their friends and family. Not to mention, there is that lockbox yeah. that everyone knew about. So all of their staff that they had, their cleaning staff, all of their real estate agents, oh. their friends and family, they all knew. So many people had access to that box. So for the 15th richest man in Canada, this guy really needed to step up his security. The thing about Barry is that he has been quoted saying, if someone wants to take me out, they could just shoot me. He's admitting it would be really easy for people to kill him because right. he's kind of nonchalant about it. Yeah. He's like, I know that I'm wealthy. I know that I'm, you know, this big pharmaceutical mogul or whatever. Yeah, he's easy to get to. He's easy to get to. There's no forced entry. There are no cameras recording, so there's no security footage. But also, someone within the police department leaked to the press that this was a murder-suicide. What? With Barry killing Honey, staging her body, and then killing himself. Okay. And the press ran with it Who? and published this in all of the papers. Who at the, the hell time. would leak something like that? That's crazy. It's actually insane. That's. I would have never thought that was my first instinct was it was a murder suicide. Because the police didn't find any signs of forced entry, they believed at the time that it had to be Barry how because you, no one had forced their way in. How can you strangle yourself with the with the belt Thank and you. then pin your arms Thank down you. underneath your jacket? It There's just, no, no way. There's no way. There's legitimately no way. And the Sherman children and the Sherman's immediate family were absolutely appalled with this theory. For sure. That's super offensive. Exactly. How could Barry have strung himself yeah. up like that? Yeah, and like, how dare you, like, accuse him of that? Also, aren't there way easier ways to kill your wife and <gasps> yourself? 100%. Like, strangulation is probably the worst. It's hard. So, so to do it to yourself with a belt, like, there's no way. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is sort of the first red flag in this case, especially okay. relating to the Toronto police. But let's go back to Tuesday, December 12th. 2017, three days before the Shermans were found and one of the last times that they had been seen or heard from alive. Honey was a true philanthropist and worked on several charity boards. Being a fundraiser was her full-time job and she loved it. On Tuesday, December 12th, Honey missed a meeting with the Baycrest Center Foundation, of which she was a board member. She didn't call ahead to say that she wouldn't be there, which was really odd behavior for her. When the foundation sent her an email to see where she was, Honey replied back saying that she was, quote, dealing with some stuff. Oh. So that's all we know about that day. Okay. Now onto Wednesday, December 13th. This was the last day that Honey and Barry Sherman were seen alive. Honey arrived at Apotex to meet Barry and the builder of their new house in Forest Hill. They were going over some design changes. This new house was something that Honey was very passionate and excited about. 
After the meeting, Honey and Barry drove home in separate cars, since they had also arrived separately too. Honey was seen leaving Apotex sometime shortly after 5 p.m., and Barry left after 8.30 p.m. So that means that Honey arrived home first that night on Wednesday, December 13th, with Barry second. Assuming that she didn't make any stops along the way. Assuming that she just went straight home. Right. The next day, on Thursday, December 14th, Barry never showed up for work, which was really strange for him, a self-proclaimed workaholic. Mm -hmm. But his business partner, Jack Kay, was out of town, and he would really be the main one to notice that Barry wasn't there. And, and he, but he wasn't there to. But he wasn't there to right. see that Barry wasn't there because he was out of town. He couldn't raise the red flags. Like, exactly. Guys, this is weird. So no one else at the company really questioned anything. It was the next morning on December fifteenth that the couple were found dead in the pool room, wearing the same clothes that they were both in the night that they got home on December thirteenth from the meeting at Apotex. But there are way more questions than answers in this case. The first thing that I feel like we've gone over is, was it really a Mm murder-suicide? Or were both Barry and Honey Sherman murdered that night in their home? The Shermans are worth billions. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, was at the Shermans Memorial, and he considered them friends. They are a very highly respected family, and the Sherman children were not having any of this murder-suicide bullshit at all. Yeah. One interesting side note is that parallel to this case with the Shermans, the Toronto police were also zeroing in on serial killer Bruce MacArthur. Oh. At the what? exact same time, they had their best people in the Toronto Police Department working on the Bruce MacArthur case. But oh, so there wasn't a lot of resources available to invest because into the most Sherman of case. their best people were too consumed with working with on working that. on a serial killer case. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. This is why, like, some rookie mistakes were happening. Uh-huh. So the Sherman family does a big fuck you to the police and calls in the big guns. They hire Brian Greenspan, who is a high-profile criminal lawyer, and he puts together a team of retired homicide detectives as private investigators, as well as their own pathologist to re-examine the Sherman's bodies and oh, do shit. an entirely second autopsy. Autopsy. Yeah. Whoa. How are they allowed to do that? Yes, they are. The police are also trying to do their own investigation, okay. but they're kind of botching it because they've released everyone that it's a murder suicide, but yeah. no one believes that. And so the press is publishing Barry Sherman killed his wife, which is like slandering his name. It is, and also super detrimental to the family. Mm-hmm. It's that second autopsy that gives us more answers in this case. And places a ton more scrutiny on the Toronto Police Department. God. The Shermans hired pathologist Dr. David Chasen, and this is what he found. Like the previous coroner, Dr. Chasen determined that the Shermans were killed by ligature neck compressions from a soft object, so most likely the belts. Mm Mm-hmm. He discovered that the hyoid bone, which is a small horseshoe-shaped bone in the neck, wasn't broken on either of Honey or Barry's bodies. A lot of force in a strangulation, for example, would cause the hyoid to break. And it's something that pathologists always check for in this type of death. Mm -hmm. 
but it wasn't broken. It was not broken. So it's commonly thought that during a suicide, like a hanging, there isn't enough pressure or force for the hyoid bone to break. But in a homicide, the hyoid is almost always broken. Because it's more of a Because there's more force and it's aggressive. Yeah. So this could also have been a contributing factor to why the police department may have thought that this was a murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. But even so, Honey's hyoid wasn't fractured either, which you think it would be if, if Barry was her. strangling her. Yeah. At least hers should have been broken. It would have been up close and personal or even behind her. Like, it would have caused a lot of force if mm-hmm. he was doing it to her. Dr. Chasen has done a ton of research on the hyoid bone in specific. Okay. So he published... Several studies that show that the hyoid bone can fracture during suicides and they can be unbroken during homicides. It's not 100% either way. So this theory is kind of thrown out the window. Okay. While he's doing his second autopsy on both Barry and Honey, he finds something else that the first pathologist did not find. He discovered faint lines of what he thought were plastic ties like zap straps around both Barry and Honey's wrists. So if both Barry and Honey were tied up and then the ties were removed after they died, that signals that another person was with them during their death. Especially because there were no zap straps or rope or anything found Found at at the scene. scene. So this case just turned into a double murder. Mm -hmm. And we knew that, Mm -hmm. and I think everyone knows that, but this second autopsy really solidified it. And after Dr. Chasen's findings, the police admit that they are considering the case now a targeted double homicide, not a murder-suicide. But due to jumping to conclusions, or just a gigantic rookie oversight, the Toronto police lost valuable time in those first crucial days after Barry and Honey's murders, because they weren't focused on finding any suspects. Any suspects. Thank you. Exactly. For six weeks, the police treated this case like a murder-suicide. That's brutal. It's two years later, and we're still wondering, whose crime is it anyway? (laughs) (laughs) We never make a reference to our I know, I was like, I gotta do it. So, before we dive into some theories... I really want to bring up a few interesting events that were going on around the time of the Sherman's murder. Because I have a lot of questions, but I want us to have all the background on what was going on in their lives when they were murdered. So you don't get to be a billionaire without pissing some people off. (laughs) And Barry was no exception. Barry sued more people than anyone else in Canada. What? Literally, he has sued thousands of people. Oh my god. So, Barry. Barry, I know. Barry. Come on, Barry. (laughs) Barry had a lot of enemies. So he was known for being an aggressive businessman who would never shy away from conflict. Like, he would take you to court if he had the chance. Yeah. And... Barry also had made enemies within his family, not just through business interactions. What? When Barry was just 26 years old, Barry's uncle, Louis Winter, and his aunt, Beverly Winter, died within 17 days of each other. And they left behind four little kids under seven years old. 
so they were Barry's cousins. Yeah. Carrie, Dana, Jeff, and Tim. Barry was very close with his Uncle Lou because Barry's own father had died when he was only a young boy. So he really looked up to his uncle who founded a pharmaceutical company called Empire Laboratories. And Barry worked there for a time. He wanted to buy the company after his uncle's death. Okay. And he did. Nothing wrong with that. But in the end, Barry sold Empire Laboratories Mm. to a company that wanted to merge with it. And they made him, Barry, sign a non-compete. But Barry found a loophole and he then started a competitor company, Apotex. Not long after, which of course, as we know, went on to make him billions of dollars. Oh my god. When Barry sold Empire Laboratories to the other company that wanted to merge with it, he didn't save any of that money in the selling to put aside for his Uncle Lou's kids. For those four little kids under seven years old, right? That's kind of ruthless. But it's not illegal either, because he wasn't bound to anything after the company was sold. Mm -hmm. But the company that merged with Empire Laboratories, they soon went bankrupt. And the company was dissolved. So Empire Laboratories ceased to exist, but Apotex went on to make billions and billions of dollars. He just went and made a better company. Right, and the other one that he sold. Tanked. Tanked. Yeah. So not only does he not save any money of the sale of Uncle Lou's company for the children, like, the company no longer exists for these children whatsoever. So even if there was anything left, they wouldn't get anything. Right. Okay. Barry loses touch with the Winters, and his four cousins grow up, and they fall on really hard times, which makes all of this even worse. One even dies of an opioid overdose here in Vancouver. The cousins, especially Carrie, feel like they were cut out of Barry's company because Empire Laboratories didn't succeed, but Barry's company, Apotex, obviously did. Would it have been in his uncle's will? There was apparently an agreement that when the kids reached 21 years old or they completed higher education, they could work at Empire Laboratories for two years and buy 5% of the company. Collectively, the four kids had an option to 20% of Empire Laboratories. But remember that they were under seven years old when their parents passed away. Mm And Barry, when he bought the company, was in his late 20s. Was he supposed to be thinking of four really young children when he's like 28 years old? Probably. But if it's in that contract or will or whatever, you would think that. But he was not legally obligated to. It's family, man. Come on. Family and money is the worst. It is the worst. It ruins everything. Now that the cousins are older, and to be honest, only one of them, Tim, was making his own money, they all feel like Barry the billionaire has an obligation to give them a percentage of money or stake in his company Apotex, because without Empire Laboratories, there wouldn't be an Apotex. Right. Exactly. And I totally see this as like a moral or ethical thing, Mm -hmm. but again, legally, Barry doesn't have to give these kids anything. But the Ugh, the God. principle. It's such it's a principle. The principle. I know. But these kids grew up without their freaking parents, dude. Both parents who yeah. died. And you're not even going to think to leave them with something to help them out? It's like, ruthless. It is ruthless. It's savage, man. It really is. Except 
Barry the billionaire steps up. Oh. This hard-ass businessman isn't made of stone. Okay. He buys each of the four kids their own properties. He funds their businesses, all four of them, buys them all four cars, gives them monthly allowances, and even tries to get help for Dana, who was the one who passed from the opioid overdose by sending him to rehab. Okay. Several times. When was he funding all of this? When was he... This was when the kids are grown up and they're okay. in their 20s okay. and 30s now. After the fact that they tried to say, like, Way can we get after a stake in this thing now? Yeah. Okay, so, so after they piped up, he he was like, all right, fine, here. Barry okay. does the right thing. That is the right move, for And sure. he gives back to these four boys in the sum of millions. Okay. But... When there's money involved, there's also greed. And the cousins were hella fucking greedy. Oh my god. Of course they were. I know. Like they've had they got a little taste of it. Yeah, a little taste. They had nothing growing up and now they've got all of these like cars and businesses and properties and uh-huh. allowance and Let's see how much we can get now. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Let's milk them for all he's worth. In January of 2007, the cousins sue Barry Sherman and his former business partners for $1 billion. You little shit. I know. They call me crazy, but don't bite the hand that feeds you. Totally. (laughs) What were they suing him for? And also, I say, don't sue the guy who claims the title of Canadian court champion. Oh, yeah. He (laughs) is sued. Thousands of people. He has sued more people in Canada than any other person yeah, in Canada. And you're willing to risk, A, your relationship with him and the funding that he's been giving you. Exactly. Barry comes right back and sues the cousins for everything that he ever gave them. He countersues. He countersues. I want everything back, you greedy little shits. Yep. To, oh, to the tune of eight million dollars. <gasps> goodbye houses, <laughs> goodbye cars, goodbye allowance. Like literally, what did you everything. expect him to do? I'm like, are you guys dumb? Are you nuts? They are nuts. Yeah, you're crazy. So it ends up being a decade-long suit. Oh my god! And Barry comes out winning. Well, how could they have even afforded to pay for the? the lawyers for that long? That's a really good question. I have no idea. That's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So in September of 2017, this is only a couple months before Barry and Honey's death, the judge rules in Barry's favor. And they owe him $8 million. The Winter Kids had to surrender their personal and business properties and were ordered to pay all of the $8 million. Oh, they would have gone bankrupt. And just three weeks before Barry and Honey's murder, the court also ruled that the cousins had to pay the Shermans three hundred thousand extra dollars in legal fees, so that Whoa! so that Barry and Honey didn't have to pay for their lawyers. Holy shit! Okay, this only happened three weeks before their death. Three weeks before their death. Mm. And the story does not end there. After Honey and Barry were found dead, Carrie Winter, one of the cousins, went on CBC's The Fifth Estate, and he said some seriously weird stuff. God. Do we have video of this? We have video. Yes! Oh, I can't wait to hear this. 
He's crazy. I'm gonna read out one thing that he says. In an interview, Carrie says, and I quote, I would talk about killing Barry, and it was very graphic. What? He would come out of the parking lot of Apotex, and I'd be hiding behind a car, and I'd just decapitate him. I wanted to roll his head down the parking lot, and I'd sit there and wait for the police. Okay, dude. Like, and that didn't flag him as a suspect? Well, the Toronto police are doing a terrible job. Jesus Christ! And no, they don't even have a person of interest. That's some serious hate. Some serious hate. He cared about one thing. Money. Making lots of it. And not caring who he destroyed, who he stepped on. I was betrayed. My cousin hurt me. And now I want to hurt him. I mean, I had opportunity, I had motive. I can see why the police might say, this guy's also a fucking nut. And he confessed to us he had indeed fantasized about killing Barry Sherman. Like I would talk about killing Barry, and it was very graphic. The way I was going to do it wouldn't have been belts. It was going to be in the Apotex parking lot. That was my vision, always, that he'd come out of the building in Apotex and I'd be hiding behind a car, and i just decapitate him. I wanted to roll his head down the parking lot and I just sit there waiting for the police. This guy has some serious hate. Oh, serious hate. Like, it's deep-seated, deep-rooted hate. Holy crap. For these guys. But, yeah. Like, is he so conceited that he thinks he's untouchable that he can say things like that and it not come back and look suspicious like that's the weirdest part of all is he's gone on like this was the cbc interview but he's done interviews with other news outlets and done and said the same thing holy shit okay and he was doing these lie detector tests in these interviews and what do we have the results from that yes so the cbc asked carrie to take a polygraph test focusing on the claims that Barry asked him to kill Honey. I didn't actually talk about this yet. Also, in the interview, Carrie claims that Barry had actually said to him years before to kill Honey, saying, quote, I want you to whack my wife. And then when he found out about the Sherman's deaths, he said, quote, fucking hell, he finally did it. Barry finally killed the bitch. What? So this came out on CBC and they were like, okay, we need to figure out whether this guy is just insane yeah, or if he's telling the truth. So they hook him up to a lie detector test and all they ask him, they focus on the claims that Barry asked him to kill Honey. He agreed to place a hit on Honey for Barry. This is what Carrie is claiming in the CBC interview. And he also wanted to. Because he hated Because he hated Honey Honey as well. He hated her. So the polygraph test, the results, Carrie failed. He failed. Surprise. Basically, he's making all of this shit up. He's making it all up. And how is he still not a suspect? How is he still not red flagged? When now he's feeling polygraph tests. Yep. I have no idea. This is crazy. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Is he of the right mind to actually go through with this? Well, it sounds like the way that he talks about Barry is 
with pure hatred. And his description of how he wanted to kill Barry was very graphic. Very and graphic. not clean. No, not at all. So it was savage. And yeah. the way that they were actually found was not really the same way you would expect that he would want to kill them. Exactly. And he even did say in that video, I wouldn't have done it with a belt. Right. But I mean, as we all know, you can fail a polygraph test. Yep. Which is super common, even when you're telling the truth. That's so, true. Also, have to take that with, with a, a grain of salt. Definitely, I agree. It's super strange and but super ballsy for him to be talking like this about them. It's so ballsy. Carrie talks about how Honey didn't like that Barry was giving his cousin so much money. Right. I can see why the cousins probably didn't like Honey at For sure. all because she was trying to take their money away from mm -hmm. them. And maybe that's why they sued in the first place is because they thought they were going to get cut off. Mm -hmm. Who knows? That's just one aspect of Barry's life, though. Barry wasn't just involved in a family feud. He was involved in, like, a corporate feud because he's this massive businessman with all this money. He loves and to sue people. He loves to sue people. So he had, a, like I say, he had a ton of enemies, but seriously, he had a ton of enemies. Literally. Literally. Barry had over 200 open lawsuits. What? That him or his business was fighting 200? at the time of his death. 200. Didn't lock his doors. Didn't lock his doors. <laughs> nope. Just no, no security cameras. No security. No locking. God. Like, it's like he was asking for it. Like, why? Maybe he felt he was, like, untouchable. I don't know. Maybe. On the other side, I think Barry and Honey were quite hard on their own children and not wanting to, of course, they gave them money. They could have anything that they wanted. But I think that they really wanted them to make a name for themselves, right. to work for it, to have an appreciation of what they had. So there were definitely some tensions between Jonathan and his dad for a few years before the Shermans were found deceased. <laughs> and an email was leaked by the Toronto Star that talked about Jonathan trying to get his dad removed from his company, Apotex. Oh, wow. Barry's son, Jonathan, floated the idea to his other siblings that... Barry was actually, you know, incompetent and he wasn't running the business in the way that Jonathan thought that he should. And he wanted his dad to invest in his own ideas. Of course. Because he was kind of like, okay, but my dad what about isn't me. Yeah, what about me? My dad isn't investing in my great idea. He's telling me to go work my way up and like figure it out for myself. You, you would have some guys? serious resentment for that. Barry doesn't give one shit. He thinks it's funny that okay. his son is trying to overthrow him and basically kind of like laughs in his face. Just like poo poos it. And like, is huh? like, nice try, son. Like, Pat's on pat the on the head. Exactly. And his, in the email conversation, and I do have a quote of this one As a result of my decisions, you will likely be a multi billionaire. Oof. And he's basically saying, like, I am the one who gives you this life. Don't yeah. you dare try to come in and like overthrow me because I made you, I'm going to make you. Right. When I'm gone, yeah. you'll get it anyway. You'll get all of it. Honestly, being a billionaire comes with a lot of shit to deal with. And Barry was up to his ears in people that might have wanted him dead. You've got cousins, family members. You've got maybe your son. 
And then don't forget that he owns a multi-billion dollar company and it's pharmaceuticals. It's big pharma. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are like, maybe it was another competitor, a competitive pharmaceutical company that wanted to get him out of the game. Mm -hmm. We have no access to any crime scene photos. We have no access to any information in this case. And the Sherman family has used all of their money and power to basically seal anything that could be going to the public, which includes both of the Sherman's wills. So it's still an open case though. It's a completely open case. But they have no leads. And there have been no arrests by the police. There's been no information, and they have now said, so this is the most recent news that came out, is that the Shermans and Brian Greenspan are going to collaborate with the Toronto police. I have no idea what changed. Mm -hmm. By all accounts, they hated the police department for a long time. They seem pretty confident that they're going to make an arrest. Maybe they've got... Well, obviously, because they can't release any information, they must have. They They must have have something. Persons of interest. Yeah, they just can't release it. It's been two years, and it doesn't seem like we're any closer to figuring out whose crime is it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That is the case of Barry and Honey Sherman. That was super interesting. Very different than what we've done yeah, before. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Oh, I like it a lot. <laughs> What's Come that from? on. I don't know what that's from. <laughs> Dumb and dumber. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? Tune in next week if we end up making another one because we tend to go on these breaks <laughs> i know it's hard you guys this is a lot of work and I we know. love doing this for you but we also want to put in the good time and effort it takes to bring you a good case bye <laughs> <laughs> toodles <laughs>